You're listening to episode 22 of the Take the Reins podcast with Nikki Porter. Welcome and thanks for stopping by. You're listening to Take the Reins, a weekly personal growth podcast for horse owners. If you're invested in becoming the best version of yourself in all your relationships, both human and equine, this is the spot for you. Through our conversations, you will learn how to become a stronger communicator, leader, and deepen the connection you crave both in and out of the arena. Horses have an awful lot to teach us, yet very little of it actually has to do with horses. They reflect back to you who you are emotionally, physically, and energetically. They are a mirror to your soul, and it is time to take an honest look at who you are and who you want to become. I can't wait to connect with you, so here we go. Welcome to the Take the Reins podcast. I'm so excited to have you back with me today. And I just want to say, I want to send out a special thank you to those of you who are currently working in the healthcare industry right now. Thank you and bless you and you are greatly appreciated. And those of you who are not on the front lines, I want to say thank you. If you're staying home and you're doing your part and you are helping just as much by staying home and making sure that we mitigate this spread, that is the most important thing for us to do. So during a time like this, as long as we're all doing our part and making sure that we're contributing to the health of our communities and our families the best way that we know how and I guess specifically according to the regulations that are being put in place that's really all that we can do so control the things that we can control and appreciate the people that are putting themselves out there and risking their lives for us to be able to be at home and safe that's really the most important thing right now also you know making sure that as you are home and your routines are changing and your daily habits are changing that you're making sure that you take care of yourself emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually. Make sure that you're doing things for you, that you're going to be coming out of this situation stronger. You have an opportunity here to take the time to really grow as an individual and to think your way through this pressure and to come out on the other side feeling like you are prepared for the rest of 2020 rather than feeling like you were just put on hold and stuck and and feeling a resistance towards what's been happening. So, you know, really looking at this as an opportunity to grow and an opportunity to go into the rest of 2020 with a changed or more productive perspective. Now, going into our interview this week, I'm really happy that it's the interview that's taking place because it's a little longer than my typical interviews. And what better time than to have a little bit of time to get to know Someone who is a local clinician, someone who a lot of people have been impacted by and who hold a lot of respect for within our equestrian community here on the East Coast. And I'm just so thrilled to bring this interview to you because it is raw and vulnerable and honest. And I couldn't think of a better way to spend this time with you than to offer you 
an interview with a phenomenal horsewoman and my good friend, Denise Henderson. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited to bring this interview to you today. It is one that I've been waiting for since the beginning of this podcast. I am bringing to you today an interview with Denise Henderson. Welcome to the show, Denise. Hey, Nikki. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad to be talking to you finally. This is awesome. I'm doing it. (laughs) You're doing it. It's awesome. I'm really excited for it. The whole reason why, and for those of you who don't know Danique, the whole reason why I wanted to have her on the show so badly is because typically she and I get on the phone and the conversations that come up between the two of us are exactly what I want my listeners to hear and they resonate so well with the message that I'm trying to send and teach that I knew that you had to be on the show and I'm pretty sure that I've tried to convince you numerous times that you just need to be on it all of the time but I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule and uh, and being here with me today. Thank you a lot for having me. I really like I super appreciate it. I mean, I think you know when I get talking things go well, but I've been pretty nervous about just sitting and talking and having a whole bunch of people listen to me so I uh, sorry I put it off for so long um, <laughs> and uh, I'm pretty glad to be talking to you today I'm it's really vacation. it's kind of funny because people that know you and people who have been taught by you would never think that you would be nervous talking to a bunch of people because <laughs> you speak so well when you're doing your clinics and and you're so vocal whether it be online or you know when you're with friends about your opinion and you seem so confident so I kind of like that you're sharing that you've had a little bit of nervousness about the whole situation. Oh yeah, full-blown anxiety, but that's cool, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you who do not know Denique, her name is Denique Henderson, and she teaches a style of horsemanship that is becoming so popular uh, in our side of the world, and I know that it's translating in other places as well. And it's ones that as soon as people kind of, it's like one of those, once you see it, you can't unsee it type deals. And I'm going to allow Danique to really dive into who she is and what she teaches. And I'll kind of guide her along the way, but I know that you're going to value everything that she says to us today. So Danique, give us a little bit of an idea of your background with horses, how you got into teaching what you teach and what it is exactly that you're looking to teach your students above all. So I've been with horses since I was nine, and uh, I started brushing horses at Norma Graham's Sky Valley Farm when I was nine years old. She took me on, and I I still remember her phone number uh, by heart because I dial it over and over and over again after school. Like, I'm pretty sure she probably saw it like 90 times on her phone and just maybe some days didn't want to deal with me. But I had like three or four horses that I would just go in and I'd brush and I'd brush them and I'd brush them and I'd brush them and like and I knew exactly you know that it goes furry comb dandy brush body brush pick their feet and then I do their mane and tail and then I would just snuggle them in their stall and then I do the next one and and um, you know these were really good horses and then some days if I was lucky somebody would be riding and they'd be like do you want to lead this horse? And I was like, oh my God, this is the best day of my life. Um, (laughs) And I remember that. I remember just like thinking and I remember going home and like taking our dog and pretending the dog was the horse and just leading them around and like clucking and, and just doing like, so doing all these things. And then, so when I look back on this, you know, like almost 30 years later, like 25 years later, like, of course I do the things that I do now. So I, uh, really shortly after 
like brushing horses at Norma's, there was uh, an awesome person there. Her name is Cheryl Simpson now. And she had a, I don't know, three or four year old black Appaloosa gelding bred by Roy Robinson. And um, his name was Diamond Chicks Ace. And she would give me lunge line lessons on him um, in an old black Western saddle. And I just hold the horn and I would just sit there and she'd give me all these lessons. And she taught me all about showmanship. And so I did 4-H with him. And, and then when Cheryl moved her horse home, she started, uh, you know, she she gave me more lessons and let me ride different horses. And I, I eventually bought my first horse from her. My parents bought her for me when I was in eighth grade. And her name was Century Classic, Century. And so I I did all this riding stuff, you know, like I barrel raced and jumped and did all the open shows and stuff like that. And it's kind of funny because like, I remember you when we were kids and you were like in the hunter circuit and I would watch you at exhibitions and stuff. And, and your name was Nikki and my name was Danique. And like, we kind of <laughs> like the, this, like a pretty cool, like close name. And we were the same age. And we both had dark hair and we both had big eyes. And, and I mean, going forward, like we eventually got to be really good friends like 10 or 15 years later. But mm-hmm. like, I remember going to all these shows and doing all this horse stuff. And eventually like I moved away, I moved out West and I barrel raced century out there for a bit. And then we moved home home and I went to St. FX. I did an honors degree in religious studies at St. FX and um, in my last year I remember this like it was yesterday. I'll, I'll never forget this. I was sitting there in class and it was in the old uh, engineering building at St. FX and it had floor-to-ceiling windows and kind of like stadium seating and uh, there was a professor at the front and um, she had this old book it was like a cults class I think and she was this sweet older woman with glasses and she opened up this book and when she opened a book like this light beam shone down on her and I call it Jesus light but you know just kind of like shone in through the windows and it it like illuminated all this dust that kind of came up and I just looked at her and it was like time stopped And I looked at the girl next to me and I was like, oh my God, this would look beautiful in black and white. And she just kind of looked at me like, what the hell are you talking about? I was like, oh my God. And so I went home and my boyfriend at the time, he, uh, I told him what I thought and he was like, well, do what you want to do. I get to do what I'm going to do. So you do what you want to do. And I was like, uh, what? And so I withdrew from school, um, right there, like the next day. And, um, I became a photographer, which really meant that I became a waitress who took pictures sometimes um, (laughs) because you didn't just buy a camera um, and then, you know, kind of go right into, uh, into being a professional photographer. I had no idea what I was doing. I just knew that the kind of pictures that I wanted to take were the kind of pictures that I never had myself. Right. Um, And so I started taking pictures of, um, this little girl who was leasing my pony century and uh, her name is Morgan Phillips. And um, I'm still friends with her today. And, um, and I took the the most beautiful pictures of her with a film camera. And then I got into the digital photography and her mom, Joanne really helped me and um, found me some other clients. I think I did like my first photo shoots for like $50 or something, not even. And those people still to this day, they still tell me, you know, they're just like, these are the best pictures. And I look back at these pictures and I'm like, oh my God, these are horrible. But, you know, I look at them and, and in, in the end, they, they did convey exactly what I felt. Like they felt, I wanted pictures. At that time in my life, I wish that I had had those photos. So I went on to be kind of a very successful horse photographer, equine photographer. And through my horse endeavors, like horse people get married too, imagine. And so I started taking taking pictures of people's weddings 
and working in a really high pressure kind of situation because you have a quick timeline in the most important day of somebody's life up to that point um, and you don't get a do-over. Well, I hope mm-hmm. most people don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> actually, no, I'm kidding. Actually, um, anyway, that's another podcast. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so I, I became a horse photographer and a wedding photographer. And then through my horse photography, what I found that I needed to do was get the horses settled as possible, as quickly as possible by making it look as snugly as possible basically and instead of just like faking that all the time which I did in the beginning and then I would notice the horses were like this is fine I'm fine and the person's like cuddling them and loving them I actually kind of learned how to do it a little bit more real and so one of my biggest kind of turning points was I took some photos for Kayla Waters and uh, Anna Brion and they at the time they had um well, they still do. They had Pirelli horses. And it was almost impossible to get those horses to put their ears up because they were so quiet. And most horses I would get, you know, I'd get them to put their ears up, you know, by shaking something in a ditch or waving a plastic bag or something. And, and these horses, they just, they almost never put their ears up. And I was just like, how, how are we going to do this? And I would come back to that you know, eventually, and it's funny how things kind of, kind of go full circle, but I would eventually go back to that. And it was annoying at the time, but my, the pictures that I did with them were some of the, the snuggliest ones. Cause those horses were actually the most relaxed, right? They were the ones who, you know, they didn't mind standing around. Like they had what I call now a zero. And so while Kayla and Anna would like maul on them and love on them and stuff, they, they would love that. They wouldn't be like, why are we standing in the middle of the field with my bridle on and you're holding my head still? Because mm-hmm. not many people do that. I mean, like Nikki, we did photos of your horses in the middle of the field. They're like, why are you guys out here? What are you mm-hmm. doing? Um, so I, I did that a lot, like a lot. And I started being really interested in how and why, how and why the horses acted a certain way. And it all didn't really tie together until I got a horse from um, Raylene McPherson and her mom, Jan, and his name was Monroe. And he didn't, obviously he didn't know it and nobody else really knew it but he kind of changed the the path that I went on mm-hmm. and he was really sweet I went up to visit him he was lovely I had actually sold all of my things all of my horse things I was getting out of horses again I've, I'm a strong believer that horses are like a disease that um, you kind of recover from it for a little bit and then you're like oh this is great what am I going to do with all this extra money and time I have get another horse mm-hmm. um, yeah this never happened before right Nikki no never. Um, <laughs> never not twice or four times and so I got this horse and I was riding him around bareback and I came off of him and I hurt myself very 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 badly um I broke my back in three places and I fractured my pelvis and I broke ribs on my left side but more importantly and something that sticks with me today is that I lost all of my nerve I lost all of my confidence with horses and that couldn't happen again I couldn't I couldn't get hurt again so I sent my horse to Kayla Waters and I said I need you to make him not afraid of things around his legs so that he won't buck me off again. And um, she said, no problem. And I got to her house, I don't know, like maybe, I don't know, two weeks after I had gotten hurt and I got there and Kayla had pool noodles tied to my horse. Mm -hmm. And he was like loping a circle at Liberty around her with his head down just calmly. And I was like, what kind of voodoo magic is this? And I was like, how did you do this? Because I mean, I've done this, you know, like I've 
but it was always, if you don't do this horse, bad things will happen to you. And it was like, it was always a threat, but my horses were always very polite and very safe. And at that point in my life, that is where I needed them to be. And then when I saw these horses at Kayla's, that she would open the gate and her horses would run to her and they would push each other over to see who could put their head in the halter to be with her. And I was like, this is like real life horse whispering. And I mean, I know what it is now, but at that point I was like, what in the actual hell is happening right now? And so Monroe went there. And then when he came home after about three months training, I went to get on him. And when I put my foot in the stirrup, my mouth went dry and I lost my peripheral vision and my heart beat so fast. I thought I was going to throw up and I was like, okay, so looks like we're not ready to ride yet. Mm -hmm. And so when that happened, um, I kind of decided that I needed to do something else because I had a whole lot of people who were asking me and putting pressure on me and saying things like, you know, what's good, what's the good of a friggin' horse if you're not going to ride it? And I was like, well, I I mean, I'm okay with brushing him. That's cool. And so I started taking lessons with Kayla and, um, and she helped me. First of all, first of all, number one, sorry for making fun of you for years, Kayla. Like that's what I said to her. I'm, I'm sorry for making fun of your stick and your rope halters and waving your flags around and all that shit because this is really cool. Right. And, and like, let me drink the Kool-Aid is basically what I said. Yeah. And, um, and so I did, and I, I got all of my levels in Pirelli. Like I, I did all the things and, and then I started seeing some things that I wanted to change. And I, you know, I didn't like that my horse pinned his ears occasionally and nobody really talked about that. And I didn't like that he swished his tail. And I didn't like that sometimes if I was a little too close, when I'd ask him to lope next to me, he would bite me. But if I hit him for biting me, he'd leave. And, And so I didn't really know what to do about that. And I didn't like that it cost me like $50 a week in cookies to keep him from running away. So one day, Sue Lowe, our mutual, very awesome friend, Sue, messaged me and she's like, listen, I have this guy coming to do, I have this guy coming to do a clinic and you should take his clinic. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, what is it? I don't know who this is. She's like, it's Jim Anderson. And he's like, rode to the horse guy. And I was like, I don't, I have no idea what that is, but can he like help me with the loping? And, and I'll never forget this. I had my pony, um, Princess Sparkle, who was a little blue roan Welsh pony. You remember Princess Sparkle? She was the devil in a pony suit as, as most of them are. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, so I took her there and I remember walking in and feeling like, and I'll tell anybody this story. I remember feeling like, you know, a big fish in a really little pond and being like, all right, look at this pony. She knows all these things. And I had a flag and she was switching direction and she was being like, you know, super fast and doing all the things. And I remember Mr. Jim Anderson walking up to me and saying, hi, I'm Jim. And I was like, Hey, you know, a little cocky, like a lot cocky actually. And, (laughs) um, and he's like, I'm just wondering like why you have that flag. And I was, I, I remember like, I'll never forget this. I remember saying to him because I want to. (laughs) And, um, and he said, well, how about I give you this stick and you take this flag and I'll take this flag. And so we worked the horses for two hours in that lesson, me and my friend Adelaide and my friend Laura. And, um, by the end of the lesson, all three of us like walked out and we were like, we know nothing about horses. We know nothing. <laughs> and I remember walking out and just being like, Oh my God. Mm-hmm. And we went home, I liked back to our hotel and I think we drank like a bottle of wine each and we were like, Oh God, we have to go back tomorrow. And we went back. And after the second day, 
we walked out and, you know, we had our horses and we were like high-fiving. Doves were being released behind us. Like <laughs> Eye of the Tiger, like yeah. I swear Eye of the Tiger was playing. We were horse trainers. We were like, we know all the horse things. This is amazing. Jim had like built us up and mm-hmm. I was like, this is unreal. And I thought when we went home that night, I said like, this is what I want to do. I, I want to work with horses the way he just showed me how I can work with horses and how he explained it. And the next day I went up to him and I, (laughs) I said to him, he was sitting on a mounting block and I was like, Hey, I will like blindly and evangelically follow you wherever you go. And he kind of looked at me like, I don't know you. (laughs) And, um, and he was like, okay, so you can get in touch with my wife. (laughs) I was like, oh yeah, right. And so I did. And I messaged his wife, Andrea, and um, found a clinic that they were hosting at uh, a place in Barrie, Ontario with a lady named Laura. And I leased a horse from her and I went up for, I think it was a five or six day, Mm -hmm. like super intensive Liberty Clinic. And then it just solidified what I did there. So that was kind of like, I mean, I've left out pieces, you know, different horses I've had and stuff, but that's kind of like how I arrived at what I'm, I'm doing now and how they made me feel about what, what I do and how I do it. I love hearing your story because I can picture you in each of those places of your life because, you know, knowing you and knowing your journey and being a little bit on the inside. So our friendships always kind of gone from like, we don't speak every single day, but if something's going on, I know that I can pick up the phone and have a conversation with you. And there's two parts of that whole story that really connect with me. And the first was that I recall the very first clinic that I took from you. And it was the first clinic that I had hosted at our barn and you were teaching full Pirelli. And it was the first clinic I ever did. It was the first clinic I ever was paid for. Yeah. And you were very pregnant. Were you not? Oh man. I I was like nine months pregnant. Yeah. Yeah, I was like eight, eight and a half months pregnant. Imagine. (laughs) So it was, it was a great clinic and I had been introduced to some of the groundwork games and, you know, really when, when we said groundwork at that point, was there anything else but Pirelli, like nothing else came into your minds because that was really all that we were exposed to. And it really did look like magic because we had gone, I had gone from the hunter world where like lunging with your horse's tail in the air and them snorting until maybe they were a little sweaty so that they were stu- like tired enough to stop and then you could swing a leg over a little more safely was the idea of groundwork I had. Yeah, it was it right. was so that you didn't you didn't die as fast. Right. That's, exactly. That was groundwork. Yeah, yeah, and it absolutely. had nothing to do with the mind. It was completely physical. It was all body. So I need to tire my horse's body out in order to then be able to safely hop on and then maybe I'll get their mind after versus a complete switch, right? So really yeah, putting that mind first. Yeah. So interesting. I I go like when I think of that story that you told and I think back to it and really that clinic was a little bit of a catalyst, I believe, for a number of people. So when I think of it, that was the first time I met our good friend, Nadine Smith. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. And then a very good friend of mine, Isabel, it was the first clinic that she had with her mare at the time. And it really was transformative for a lot of us. And now when I think of where we've all come since that clinic, it's incredible, but we actually all came together from there on. And then the other that you pointed out was that first feeling of like, oh my gosh, I'm going to follow this, this gym anywhere he goes. 
And (laughs) I remember that phone call of you calling because I was in the clinic, like the next clinic after you. Yeah, yeah. And I was like super nervous about going into it. I had these hopes and dreams. So um, not everyone knows, but my husband and I teach trail and we don't teach trail like pleasure trail and go in and win the class. We teach more like communication style with trail obstacles. So I really thought that I was going in there to like this full blown trail clinic. And I walked in and, and there was, was like nothing, nothing. <laughs> there was a dry water box and a platform and I'm going like, yeah. how is he going to teach me about trail stuff right now? But anyway, I remember that conversation with you where you just said like, this guy just blew my mind. Like he changed everything I've ever known about horses. And it's really interesting because I want it to be very clear that at no point, and and this goes further, there's been a few people that I've worked with that have been like full-blown Pirelli. They lived and breathed it. And then they just started looking for something else because I always talk about teachers that we have in our lives, right? So, you know, when you have a teacher, I have a very influential horsewoman in my life and me moving beyond her teaching is not a disrespect towards her in any way, shape or form, but every single teacher you ever encounter can only take you to a certain level and that's the level that they're at, right? So they'll only ever bring you to that level and, and we need to have those interactions with new teachers in order to open new doors for us. And I am a firm believer that if your teacher doesn't have a teacher, if your coach doesn't have a coach, then you need to find a new coach or teacher. So everybody's advancing all of the time, but sometimes we just need to make that switch. So, I mean, you and I both were in a clinic this summer with Fawn Anderson, who she used to be full Pirelli and now she's She follows the Buck program and she spoke very highly in that clinic about the foundation that she was offered. Um, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and with Fawn, like she, she's so grateful of -hmm. the opportunities that that program has Mm -hmm. like given her and, and how she can better understand. And I mean, like I look back to the stuff that I used to do now knowing what, I mean, I I guess that's the whole deal in life, right? You you learn Mm -hmm. as I wish I would have known then what I know now, Mm -hmm. but, um, and then you can see different things, but sorry, keep going. I didn't mean to interrupt. Keep going. No, absolutely. And I'm pretty much done what I was saying anyway, because it was more just the sense of, when you say, you know, I used to be Pirelli and then I moved on and moved into, I'm going to follow Jim Anderson's program wherever it takes me. It's really important for people to, to understand that when that happens, then it's really no disrespect for any program or any teacher, or any teachings that you've had in the past. And I said this in my last episode that I released is that you're never starting at ground zero. Like you're just, you're never at zero. And everything that you learned through Pirelli, even though the, it was bringing up questions, which that's fantastic. When you're, when you're learning something and it brings up questions for you, all that that does is open doors on the other side of it, right? So it's, um, it's really interesting for people to understand that you can walk away from a program, you keep the things that really work for you, and you let go of the things that didn't, and you don't have to be the one that's like, oh, well you know, Pirelli sucks or this sucks or right. you don't have to talk down about the thing that you're walking away from. You, you still appreciate what it offers you. I think a really, um, a really good way to look at that is that, and, and I feel this way about like my clients and mm-hmm. um, the people that I teach is that if I have instilled enough confidence in them that they can 
walk away from what I've given them Mm -hmm. and never have to take another one of my clinics again, Mm -hmm. then I did my job. You know what I mean? Like, and so, so when I did um, my foundation with like, and with, with other teachers as well, other coaches Mm -hmm. and stuff, like, I mean, I don't go back and ask questions to my grade three teacher when I was in elementary school, they did their job. Right. And they sent me on my way. And, um, but there are people that I've learned from that I can go back to and be like, Hey, remember when we talked about this like three years ago, how do we apply it to this? Even though I don't coach with those people anymore, you know, like I don't, I don't coach with Kayla anymore, Mm -hmm. but sometimes when we talk, I'm like, I have a horse that's doing this Mm -hmm. and what, what do I do here? And she, you know, she was my teacher for a long time. And it's not that I don't value her opinion. Mm -hmm. It's that now we're at like, we're totally different places. So sometimes she'll message me and she'll be like, Hey, I have this horse. What would you do here? Can you come over and help this? Can I help you? Like, what about this? And, and I think that it's a really good testament that if somebody want, not necessarily wants to leave, but that they take what you've given them and then they Mm -hmm. can apply it instead of, you know, I try to tell people all the time, I don't have a program that I teach. Mm -hmm. I have like some really interesting principles that I've, I find to be like the core. I don't have like a program that you have to do this, 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 and this. I say like, these are the things that I want you in your situation to be able to apply. Mm -hmm. And I think what I've really found too is that the best horsewomen and the best horsemen are not even that talented as much as they are aware. Mm -hmm. They are aware of every little thing. They're aware of every little ear flick. They're aware of every time the horse tenses or doesn't. And I remember Andrea saying once that um, before Jim gets on a horse that he has something like, I don't know, like a 27 point checklist or something Mm -hmm. like that, that as he's walking up to the horse, he's already checking all those things off. And if the horse doesn't give him you know, the green light for all of those things. There's no getting on. It's not just like most people, you know, most people have a three-point checklist. They have a helmet, they have a saddle, and they have a bridle. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then they get on. And, you know, so the more I realize with every little step that that most horse people are like the really good ones, they're just really aware because they know like they're really aware of what happens before what happens happens. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us don't really have that awareness until we get hurt, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And so for me, like as an example for that, like for me, when I, um, I won't get on a horse unless they pick me up at the mounting block. If they, if I can't put my foot in a stirrup and the horse drop his head and stand there, they don't want me to be getting on them. Mm -hmm. And that is the last thing that I remember before I came off my horse and got really badly hurt was that I like checked him at the mounting block, but he told me like 90 times, Vinny, I don't want you on me. Like I couldn't catch him in the field that day. It took mm-hmm. me, like I had to run him into a stall to get him. I went to put his halter on and he was like twirling around. I was like, Oh, he's got a lot of energy. Imagine. Right. He was jigging on his way down there, you know? And I look back at all these things because like, I almost died. Mm-hmm. Uh, like bef- because I got really badly hurt, I look back on all these things, and now I'm acutely aware of that. Like if I yeah. see somebody lead their horse into the arena and their heads turn to the left while they're trying to walk them to they're the right, shouldering into them, yeah, right. Then I'm like, oh man, no, don't. Oh gosh, yeah. do, you, do you want me to hold him? Or mm-hmm. so I think. What it really comes down to is is a lot of awareness, and I think mm-hmm. that that translates so much into what you're teaching with mm-hmm. your coaching, like people in their in their being mindful, like being there presently instead of looking at the the end goal, 
right? And so I can see that in horses. I can't always see that in people. Um, you know, my cat still bites me sometimes, so I definitely don't see it in like cats. <laughs> cats are impossible. And, <laughs> and then, you know, like with my kid too, like sometimes I think I've got it all, like we're all ready to go. And then he has a meltdown. I'm like, oh shit, like I missed all those right. signs, yeah. you know, or like in my relationships with people, I don't necessarily see all the things that somebody who is much more aware than me in a situation would see. And then they bring it to my attention. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can totally see how you could see that. But I think the really good horsemen and the really good horsewomen, they are so aware. And then they're able to communicate that, that awareness to the horse. Like I see that you just flicked your ear like that. And I'm not going to just ignore that. Let's talk about that. Now, interesting that you say that because I'm going to actually give you a little more credit on the other side of things because you, you know, outside of you in clinic mode, you might feel like you are maybe a little less aware than you'd like, right? But when I see you in a teaching zone, when you are in your clinics, you are just as aware of the people as you are of the horses. And, and personally, when I see you teaching, that is why you're as successful as you are and why you resonate so well with people. Because when you're teaching them, you're very much aware that you are not just teaching them about their horses. And it opens up doors and so I know that it comes out with me in my lessons and I've seen it in yours and we've had conversations about it, but can we talk just a little bit about when emotions come up for people while they're working with their horses that you know the emotions really are not connected to the work that you're doing with the horse at all. It's not because they're scared their horse is going to stand on their foot or why won't they just do this, that it right. really is translating into all of these other things. Um, could you give us an example of a situation you've seen like that? So, yeah, like, I mean, that happens. I have a, the, the way I work with people in horses, a lot of emotions come up, like a yeah. lot. Um, so uh, I have a, a crew in PEI and they've been coaching with me for like three or four years now. Um, so give a little shout out to Amber and, uh, and my B team over there. They've been coaching with me and we have this little ongoing joke, like everybody's there in the morning and we always say, you know, who's going to be the crier? There's always somebody, there's always somebody who cries. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then I laugh and I'm like, you guys, like, I'm not paid enough for this. <laughs> um, and anybody who knows me knows that I'm not like super huggy, touchy. Um, and, uh, and there's always like a, there's always a crier and, and those emotions come up, you know, like I'm not a psychologist, so mm -hmm. I, I don't profess to be one. But um, I, I think those emotions come up because a horse is a horse is supposed to be a safe place, right? You know, like you know, a lot of people talk about that the the horse is like your therapist and right. all that kind of stuff. And right, they can list off all the reasons why they have the horse. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. They say all and the right so, things. Yeah, yeah, they say the things and. And, um, what I've kind of, um, I mean, I'll give you an example of this in a second, but what, something that I've really kind of thought about a lot is at first, you know, when somebody said like, your horse is not your therapist, you don't put that on, mm -hmm. on the horse. I was like, yeah, you know, that's, that's right. And then the more I thought about that, the more I kind of thought, actually, that's not true. The, a horse is a very good therapist because a really good therapist, like a really good counselor, a really good therapist, they don't tell you answers. You know, they, they mm -hmm. make you, they make you examine what you're doing and take a better look at yourself. And they say like, why is this happening? 
you know? Mm -hmm. And so when you're aware with your horse, mm -hmm. you know, when people say my horse is my therapist or my horse is, you know, there, it's my therapy. Mm -hmm. I think really that, that they don't quite know what they're saying, but then right. when they really delve into it, when they really think about it, you know, a horse is a great therapist because they sit there mm -hmm. and they listen and they take all your shit Mm -hmm. And then you have to reevaluate that on your own, on your own time without somebody like your horse will hold Projecting you accountable it. to that. Exactly. Yeah. So some of the things that I see, especially with horses is, um, well, and people too, obviously, but um, somehow that it relates is that uh, is, is about boundaries, mm -hmm. you know, and safe boundaries and like hof, like hard and soft limits, I suppose, if you want to put it that way. So I like to say a lot that, um, you know, I'm very, very, very black and white in my goals and I am very gray in how I get there. Mm -hmm. And so my goals are, you need to stay out here. And so like an example of that is, um, you know, I, I've, I've started telling people, you know, instead of telling the horse what they're doing wrong, like don't paw, don't, mm -hmm. you know, don't, don't be an asshole basically is what most people say. Um, I say like, tell them what to do. Well, what do you want them to do? Well, I want them to stand still. Okay, well then tell them that. We'll stand still. And nobody is capable of saying that. They're like, don't, ah, ah. Yeah. You know, and even then, and I say like, you know, you want to picture this like a circle, okay? So you have 360 degrees. And if you tell that horse, do not stand on 90 degrees. The horse has got 364 other options that it can do. Mm -hmm. And if you say, I need you to stand right there on 90 degrees like this for this long, they can't make a mistake, right? Mm -hmm. And if they do make a mistake, that is your chance to show them even more clearly what you want them to do, right? right? So I think of, you know, a lot of people, when I do my liberty work with them and stuff, they're like, oh my God, I don't want my horse to leave. I'm like, no, 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 no. You really want your horse to stay, right? Yeah. So if they leave, that is an awesome chance to show them that they should stay. Mm -hmm. And if they want, if they want to go, that's in them to go. You're not going to be getting them back. I listened to a podcast um, with Jonathan Field, actually. And he said, you know, if a horse wants to go and they're running around and they leave you and they're like bucking and running around and acting foolish, when they're with you, that's still in them. Yeah. <laughs> so if they're staying with you because they're afraid that they'll get in trouble if they leave, that's still in them. And I mean, you can draw as many, you know, like likenesses from that in horse land as horse and people land as you want. But um, like a, a kind of example about that, like with boundaries and being clear and clarity is I was giving a clinic not long ago and I have to be a little bit careful on how I say things because I never really, you know, I don't have like one-on-one -on -one conversations with people before the clinics and like find out where they are in their life or what they're doing. Right. But um, I was doing this clinic not long ago and um, uh, there was a woman who I said, you know, you're standing there and you're asking your horse to kind of back up, but mostly what you're asking him to do is not be near you. He still doesn't know where he's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And she just kind of looked at me and I was like, and you're just like half-ass asking him because you don't want to do the hard work of being clear and saying, I need you back here right now because it might make you a little uncomfortable and then you might have to have a hard conversation. And she just kind of looked at me and I was like, what? And, you know, she kind of chuckled a little bit and she's like, yeah, so this is exactly what I'm going through right now in my personal life. And I was like, okay, so this is what I need you to do. So I need you to do this, this. And then, you know, she tried and she tried to do it. And then finally she just moved her feet and went after the horse and hit him quite hard. And the horse jumped backwards and looked at her like, where the F did that come from? And then she looked at me and she's like, see, and I was like, okay, 
So, and that, that was a pretty good example of, you know, when the horses, you know, you ask them and you ask them and you ask them, but you don't actually know what you want. You just know that you oh, don't so want important. them to, yeah. like, yeah. you know, you ask them, but what you're asking them is not like, you don't know what you want. All yeah. you know is that you don't want them to do this. And I mean, yeah. in your book, you, we talked about that, that there's a part of that in your book about me and the cupboards. Yeah. Holy shit. I, for ages, why can't you just close the cupboards? Dane is what I would say to him. Yeah. Instead of saying, Hey Dane, could you please close the cupboards? Instead yeah. of like, so when people say to their horses, like, why can't you just back up instead mm-hmm. of saying, I need you right here like this. And then in the, one of Mark Rashid's books, I think it was uh, no good horses, a bad color. There's a line in there near the end. And it says, you know, there's feel and timing and the most important, like a lot of people think that there's feel and timing, right? Like everybody knows yeah. what that means. Feel, feel is essentially, um, the amount of pressure that you need to put on a horse to get what you're asking, but without having to ask twice and without the horse exploding. So it sounds relatively easy, but if you don't know the horse you're handling, you know, the amount of feel that I have to put on an Arab who's like flying high is a lot different than the amount of feel I have to put on a 27 year old Belgian. Right. And then timing obviously is when to take that pressure on and when to put it off. But the, the, the most important of all of those is understanding. So you need to understand what you want first. If you don't know what you want, then you don't know how much pressure to put on to get what you want. And this is so so important. I don't mean to cut you off, but it's so important when you're asking anything of anyone, whether that be your horse, a human, a dog, whatever it might be, because what I often see is that, you know, we want people to recognize when someone is trying, right? Why can't you just try, right? Just try for me. Mm -hmm. And then we don't have a clear picture of what a try looks like. We have a clear picture of what the end result should be after two years of training. Right. Yeah, yeah. We don't have a clear picture of those small tries all along the way. And when you don't have a a picture of the small tries, you punish your way through all of those tries. And then you have people or horses that give up on you because they've been trying all along. And that image, all it does is create frustration for you versus any sort of joy in any sort of way. And I have found this come up with my husband and my child and horses. Absolutely. Right? Where you're like, why can't you just, you know, be affectionate? Why can't you just this? And then if you first of all take the just out altogether, but because it's never that simple. Right. But you know, when I start looking at the smaller picture versus the larger picture, if I look at how he is with me versus now versus 10 years ago, right? He, he's a completely different, different husband, right? So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I think too, what the hard part for that is that you are in a place of selfishness at that point when, right. when you're like, I, and, and selfishness in the true sense of the word and not in like mm-hmm. a negative sense, but like yeah. at that point you're in like a self-preservation mode of either your emotions or physically, or it's a yeah. selfish place. And when I tell people like, what is it that you want? And, you know, they're like, well, I don't want him on top of me. I'm like, yeah, but tell, articulate yes. with, with me. Where, what do you want your horse to do? Well, he knows how to, well, clearly he doesn't because people and horses are the same thing. All they want is to be comfortable. Right. You know, they don't want to be assholes. They like, it's, it takes a lot of work to do that. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, they don't want to do that. And 
basically if somebody or a horse acts a certain way it is because at some point in their life they have gotten comfort for doing that mm -hmm. and that is not on you that's not your fault but that is you know it's it's not a failure on your part it's a fact on theirs yeah. and so at some point you have to be the one who says you know okay this is how but this is how i work so really cool. Like, thank you so much for rearing. That's really great. When I ask you to like back up, I really appreciate the rear, but like what I want is for you to put your foot right there. And so I just keep the pressure on until the horse does what I want. Or, mm -hmm. you know, same with when I'm having a conversation and somebody keeps trying to steer it to something else. And I say that, you know, I am, I'm very sorry that I've made you feel that way. Let's get back to the real conversation of, you know, this is how you've made me feel when this happens. Mm -hmm. And when I take accountability for how I feel and what I want done, mm -hmm. then I'm a lot, I'm a lot more open to how the horse feels to how the person feels. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, um, and so, so I have to do some like pretty deep accountability work, I would say. And, mm -hmm. and, and I have to know exactly what I want out of something, out of the step, out of the circle, out of the horse, out of the person. Mm -hmm. um, and if I don't know what it is I want, then I have no right um, to be asking anything, to be asking anything of somebody else or another horse. So yeah. I thought that that line in Mark Rashid's book about that, you know, understanding is the most important thing that is, that, that has been pivotal for me. And, you know, when I, when I tell people at clinics, you know, they're like, I, I started doing a natural horsemanship, my kid now, mm -hmm. instead of like, don't kick the back of my seat. I'll say, you know, can you draw hearts on the windows instead? I tell them what I want them to do. Mm -hmm. And that's really hard because when you get into a selfish defensive mode of like protecting yourself, be it with a horse, like when they come at you, mm -hmm. you know, instead of saying to them, you know, don't bite. I just say, go stand over there. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if they get to a point where they're close enough to bite me and I've missed all those signs, then I probably deserved it, to be honest. Same with people. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's funny with kids. When you start to really dig into this stuff with horses, it's hard not to translate it into other and all relationships, right? So yeah. oftentimes I'll be around someone with a child. And this is this is not calling anyone out because I am just as guilty of this as anyone else but you'll be able to see it. And it's so much, we're all experts on the outside of anything, right? So when you're watching a, a mom or a dad with their child and you hear that child say like, mom, mom, mom. And they'll yes. say it like 15 times. And then all of a sudden the kid likes does something a little dramatic and finally gets the attention of the, of the parent and the parent kind of overreacts to the situation. And what do you want? Like, oh my God, you're, you're driving me crazy or whatever else. But it's like the only reason that occurred was a lack of presence. Right. Exactly. And a lack, and, of, a lack of awareness. Had they seen that first ear flick? You right. know what I mean? Had yeah. you seen that? You, you just chose, I tell a lot of people in my clinics, the reason that your horse is bad is because, you know, you're good enough to let them be that way. Mm -hmm. Like that, that's the reason why, because if I were to hand a horse to my husband, he'd be like, Oh my God, why is he looking at me like that? Why is his ear going back? And I kind of play it off. Right. I can yeah. just say yeah, that's normal. That's just how he is. But what I should do is I should have paid attention to that, you know, in the, in the beginning, I should have been like, Ooh, this is what this means. And you know, that's why hindsight's twenty twenty, right? You go back and you go, 
oh my gosh, I could have, I could have stopped this whole, this whole explosion or not. You know, I, I mm-hmm. talked to, to Dan about this yesterday. We kind of said, you know, horses are a lot, well, they're exactly like relationships with people is that, mm-hmm. you know, you, you can either choose to ignore it and then deal with the consequences afterwards. Right. Or you can deal with them now and it's going to be a bit of a difficult conversation mm-hmm. um, and then it's done. And mm-hmm. so I actually, I think I have a, like a Brene Brown quote on that and um, it was, uh, it was really, um, it was really cool. Um, she said, I believe it was in Dare, Dare to Leave maybe. Mm-hmm. She said, um, I'd ask you to calculate the cost of distrust and disconnection in terms of productivity, performance, and engagement. Mm-hmm. Here's what I know to be true from my experience and what I consider to be some of the most important learnings from this research. Leaders must either invest a reasonable amount of time attending to the fears, feelings, fears and feelings, or squander an unreasonable amount of time trying to manage ineffective and unproductive behavior. And if we find ourselves addressing the same problematic behavior over and over, we may need to dig deeper into the thinking and feeling that is driving those behaviors. And that's really hard. Right. You know, that's really hard because we're straight line thinkers, right? Yeah. We're straight line thinkers and we just need, can you just trot for God's sakes, just trot, Right. <laughs> just, just do the trot thing. Yeah. And you know, if I want to kind of like expand on that a little bit, horses don't have a problem trotting. They have a problem being asked to trot. Right. So it's never the, it, once a horse is trotting along, they're not swishing their tail every step. It's the pressure mm-hmm. that you use to ask mm-hmm. them to trot. It's the, it's the, it's the talking to them part. Mm-hmm. And people are the same way. They don't have a problem being a good person. You know, it's how you ask them to change for you mm-hmm. so that you can receive them that way. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Absolutely. And, and like, so, you know, I, I don't think that, I mean, you and I have had these talks before, like we've had misunderstandings in our friendship. I mean, we've been mm-hmm. friends for like 15 years mm-hmm. and I've said to you like, Nikki, when you did this, this happened and you're like, what? Yeah. I, what do you mean? And then, you know, and then we talked about that and, and you're like, listen, like that was not how I took it. When I put my leg on a horse and they swish their tail and they're like, can you kindly F off? I'm like, dude, all I'm asking you to do is trot. And once they know that all I wanted them to do is trot, then they're fine. Right. But I have to stick in it until they understand that. Yeah. Right. So I have, I have to keep in the uncomfortable situation until that yeah. horse understands that. And same with the people. Yeah. And I like, think I have it's to funny. Get, carry on. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Nikki. I think it's funny because in those situations, people are a lot more comfortable being defensive than they are vulnerable. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So the protection of defensiveness the inability to really take on the blame for a situation, feeling like if you take on the blame, then it means there's no fault in the other person's situation at all, right? So, right, well, like, take, know, like take the responsibility, not blame. Exactly, either. right, exactly. <laughs> so, but but when we say, you know, when we say the words like blame, it's very triggering, right? Like, right, exactly. It's well, so it, it right there that shame there, but it's interesting because when we lack an ability to set boundaries with people, oftentimes what happens is this this resentment starts building. So we see this in working with horses all of the time. People handle Absolutely. their horse and they put up with so much all of the time because mm-hmm. they'd rather just handle them defensively and say, oh, he's just that way. That's just the way he is. You know, yeah. he's always been this way or he likes to do this. I like it when people say that he likes to do this. Um, he likes to to push my buttons. 
And all that is, is our inability to really take responsibility for the whole picture um, and to be able to say, okay, this is going to get uncomfortable. I'm going to be vulnerable in this situation, physically, emotionally, mentally. Yeah. It goes all the way back to like what I was saying, that one ear flick that you choose to, you know, you choose like, you know, my favorite meme on the internet is, oh my gosh, look at this beautiful scarf that I've made out of all the red flags you gave me. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I love scarves. It's amazing you can pick out a favorite meme <laughs> for the amount of memes that you <laughs> I enjoy know, right? and share because you but find like, the best. <laughs> that is like my favorite one. I say it yeah. all the time. I said it yesterday about somebody, yeah. you know, and I was, I said it like, I literally said it yesterday about somebody and I was just like, yeah, I'm just letting it happen. Cause yeah. you know, and at some point I'm going to have to say something, but yeah, right now it's fine. Cause I'm getting what I want out of it. Yeah. And, and yes. you know, it's, it's, um, it's hard. Like it's, it's hard to go back and be like, okay, let's fix that ear flick because not everybody. That's an interesting amount of awareness too. So we'll have to just bring light to that because when you can say, oh, look at all those red flags, but it's okay because I'm getting what I need right now out of this particular relationship. There's less of a chance of you blowing up on the other side of that and more of a chance of you walking away and shrugging it off and being like, well, guess I knew it, right? But when you choose to like blinders on, Right. Yeah, exactly. I swear yes. to God that has nothing to do with flags. It's just a really beautiful scarf. Right. Then that's, yeah. that turns into a bit more of a problem. Well, and you know, and that, that is where, that is where I, I say all the time that I don't get angry mm-hmm. unless I feel really dumb mm-hmm. because I, I, mm-hmm. um, I pride myself on being very aware of a lot of things. Which is and interesting then when I, because if you think of horses' reactions, horses are the most aware of any, more more aware than we could ever hope to be. Oh right? yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when you think of how angry we get when we're made to feel dumb because we are being aware. Right. Those poor feel, things. Right. <laughs> they yeah, they're like feel so frustrated I'm, all of the time. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you squeezed your left arm muscle and that's what you wanted. <laughs> exactly. And we're like, no, just stand still. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's, you know, it, it's that, um, I think what it all boils down to is awareness and accountability. The two yeah. best A words, you know, the best yeah. A words there are is when you have that awareness, what you choose to do with that awareness is up mm-hmm. to you. That's not up to me as a coach. Mm-hmm. What you choose to do with it, you know, if you see that your horse is tense, but you still want to get on, maybe you're good enough to do that because, you know, you have 15 horses to ride today and you just mm-hmm. need to get through them. Mm-hmm. you know, maybe that is, that's the chance that you're going to get to take, or maybe you're talented enough that you can do that. I'm not. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm a little bit different with what I choose to see and unsee, but when you mm-hmm. see it, that's the whole point is I want to be able to show people in my clinics. I choose to see when he does that. Yes. I'm not going to tell you what to do about that, but just make sure you know what that is. If that's okay with you, like mm-hmm. I have no problem when horses rub on me you know, if, or if they like nibble at me or something like that, because I don't want a robot. If I wanted a robot, I would get a cactus. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I want something with a bit of personality, but then when I draw a line, I like, I don't want a perfect husband. I -hmm. want somebody who I can have hard conversations with. Mm -hmm. I don't want perfect friendships. I don't want, you know, perfect relationships with people all the time. I want somebody to do hard things with and same Mm -hmm. with the horses. I want to be able to say to them like, hey, this was a mistake and them not go, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And like run backwards and say, I'll never do it again. I want them to be like, oh, what did you want out of that? Sorry. 
you know, I, I want there to be a mutual respect there. And, and that's kind of how I, I want my relationships with people too. I want my horses that when I talk to them with pressure, they're like, Oh, that's what you want. Oh, okay. They're not like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. Because you know, pressure is the only way that we have to communicate horses. I mean, asterisks, there are other ways, obviously, but for the most part, pressure is the only way that we really know how to, how to talk to horses. That's how they talk to each other. And that's, unless you're very well versed in, Mm -hmm. you know, predator prey relationships and positive reinforcement, positive punishment, you know, negative reinforcement, negative punishment, which is which that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I think negative reinforcement and pressure to get what you want. And then releasing when you get what you want is really the most common and that and same with people you know but pressure doesn't have to be bad I think that's that's something that people really need to think about like Mm -hmm. when I was um when I was training for my marathon last year when I first started running my the worst thing I did was hills it was the worst thing it was my worst time I would dread the hills it was the shittiest like I, I could taste blood. It was awful. And then by the end, the hills were awesome because I'd see a hill, I put my head down and I would go step for step and I'd be like, bring it. And my best time was on hills, but it took a long time to be okay with that pressure. But why was I so good on hills? Because everything else disappeared and I was very aware of what every single thing was doing. I was accountable to myself for every step. Mm-hmm. and so pressure, you know, we talked about this pressure makes diamonds and yeah. but you can't, you can't blow it up because mm-hmm. if you, if you use too much pressure, then that little piece of coal explodes. And if you use not enough, then it just stays a kind of piddly piece of coal. Right. So, and it's funny too, because when you think of pressure, I think one of the main things that adolescents need to be taught coming from a teaching background and really just being aware of what pressure looks like to children or teenagers or young adults and then their response to it it's a really a make or break because to be able the same thing with our horses those horses that are able to think through pressure so whether that be natural or whether that be taught but the ability to think your way through pressure and then find the release on the other side versus hands in the air i give up i can't do this you know this is ridiculous yep. There's a huge there's a huge difference between the success of someone who perceives pressure as bad and someone who perceives pressure as an opportunity. Right. And so, yes, exactly. And I I think that you know and to to take it a step further back to some of the stuff that Jim and Andrea taught me was that when pressure comes, find me. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter what, when pressure comes inward, outward, like environmental, you have a sore belly, something, find me and I'll help you through it. Mm-hmm. So when snow falls off the roof, my black horse, it doesn't matter where he is, he will turn and face me. And when snow falls off the roof and he feels shitty and he turns and looks at me and I go, hey, be with me. He goes, yeah, hi. Mm-hmm. You know, he's with me. And, and I, I look for that in my relationships too, right. that when like with my close friends and my husband and my kid, mm-hmm. um, I want that when bad things happen, they look to me. And if they, if, if I'm not there, then they have enough confidence in themselves. But where do they get the confidence from first is usually from me, mm-hmm. you know, in, in that situation. Does that make sense? Oh, 100%. Like, yeah. 
so, you know, Jim and Andrea kind of taught me, they're like, first the horse has to have confidence in you. Then they have to have confidence in themselves and then they have to have confidence in their situation. And most people are the opposite of that with their horses. First, they, they have confidence in the situation or the place. So that's when people like take them out and lunge them somewhere. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so the horse is like, okay, that's not going to kill me. That's not going to kill me. That's not going to walk kill into me. the arena. I got to show them all the things that they're going to be scared of. Right. And then they take them and they put them in the stall and the horse gets okay being by themselves in the stall. Yeah. And then from there, then the horse is like, okay, well then I'm not dead now. So I guess I can kind of look at her. Mm-hmm. I want the opposite. I want the horse to be like unloaded in downtown New York and the horse comes off the trailer and goes, Oh my, Oh, Janique's fine. I'm fine. Yeah. And you know, that's kind of like the way I am with my husband or the way I am with other people in my relationships. When, when things go bad, I'm like, what do I do here? What do you want me to do? And when they can articulate to me, I need you to do this so that we can get through this. Mm-hmm. then that's great. But when they're like, don't do this, stop doing that, stop doing that. I don't really know what to, does that make sense? Yeah, like, I don't, don't really respond know. well to that. Yeah. Well, cause yeah. I don't know what to do. There's that 360 right. degree circle again. Right. Yeah. Um, I, like, I don't know what to do there. Mm-hmm. I just know that I just know what I'm not supposed to do. So Denise, can you tell us in your opinion, what is the top pitfall that you see between horse and human relationships? So like, I think everything that we've kind of been talking about so far, just to kind of like wrap this all together mm-hmm. is like awareness and accountability. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, when we start talking a little bit more about, you know, you know how you said like blame is a big trigger word, you know, if you kind of, instead of saying, this is what you're doing wrong and blame it, you say, I will take accountability for this with no expectations of the other person taking accountability. So that's Mm -hmm. like when, when you say, um, you need to be unattached to the outcome Mm -hmm. and the, the, you know, there's all these, funny little, not funny, but like different sayings, you know, like when people say like the horse doesn't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Like there's a reason people say that stuff and at different places in your horse journey, you know, I I don't like to use words like that necessarily because I think a lot of people think that like when I tell them I do groundwork and I do liberty work that it's like a, you know, we're running through a daisy field and we smell like patchouli oil at sunset (laughs) and like, you know, like I'm, I'm pretty hard on my horses and my expectations, but I'm very clear with them. So I'm very aware of several things. I'm aware of what I want and I'm aware of how I want to get there, but I am Mm -hmm. really okay with not doing any of those things. Right. And so with horses, I mean, they're prey animals, right? So, and as predators, the only thing that the only animal that would really want a horse to do something, to go somewhere and be you know, like come over here into this shiny metal box right. on wheels. The only other animal that would do that would be like a wolf or, you know, a mountain lion or something that's like, hey, why don't you leave your herd? It's cool. You're fine. You know, so like when we really, 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 really want a horse to do something, when we really want somebody to do something and we're so attached to the outcome, then we stop forgetting about the relationship. And if you can build on the relationship. So like for me, if I'm talking about my program, which I don't really have one, I think we said that at the beginning. Yeah. For me, the, the principles of my program goes connection, softness, task. Well, first it goes safety because, you know, nobody can connect with a horse if they're dead. But it goes connection, softness, task. First thing you got to do is when you put pressure on a horse or a person, when you put pressure on them, when something gets uncomfortable, you need to know that they're not going to run. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
And if there's a threat of them running at any cost, then you need to abandon what you want to have done. You need to abandon that task. And if you have a horse or a person that when you put pressure on them, be that through your words or, you know, your motions, when you, when you ask a horse to do something physically or emotionally with somebody else, like a person, if the first thing they want to do is disconnect from you, then you don't get to talk about what the task is that you want done. You need to have them connected to you. It doesn't need to be on a deep emotional level, but they need to connect to you first. And they then need you to can feel safe. Right. They yeah. need to feel that even if they only feel safe in the transaction that you are doing, like when right. you walk up to a cash register and I reach into my pocket, that person needs to know I'm not pulling out a gun. Right. I'm giving them money, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like that's, they need to know that. And that, that is a connection. I need to make eye contact with that person and be like, Hey, I'm going to talk to you about paying you for this. That is just unspoken. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Horses are the same deal. When you go to walk into their stall and they turn and they don't say, hey, what's going on? And they're like, oh shit, I don't, don't be surprised if you get bucked off. I'm not saying you're going to, mm -hmm. but he told you the second he saw you that he didn't want anything to do with you. So mm -hmm. instead of just going to him and putting a halter on him, same with like when you, like when I, I'm sitting in the living room and my husband walks in and he goes, do you want to go for supper? And I'm like, well, and I don't even look up from my phone you know, he's got to connect with me because maybe, you know, I had a bad day, maybe blah, 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 blah. Right. Mm -hmm. So for me, the biggest, the biggest like pitfall, the biggest thing I see is that as humans, we are way too straight line thinkers. Like we're way too attached to the outcome of what we, and that's what we want. And that goes back to that selfishness that I was talking to you about. And selfishness is not a bad word. It's just the word that I'm saying, like, we're looking at it, you know, like, um, my friend Becca says a lot, like she uses the thing is that we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are and Absolutely. how, like how we are at any minute changes. Right. So like, like this morning, you know, I wasn't in my best place, but like last night I was, you know, mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? So yeah. how we are in any minute kind of like that, our end goal is different at any minute. And I think that if people can, they can learn to do things that it's like, you know what, this is what I want, but I don't really care how I get there outside of these boundaries. Right. Like, but you have to have boundaries, obviously. Like I need to stay safe. Mm -hmm. And so if my program goes connection, softness, task, first I'm going to connect to that person and say, you know what, nothing you can do or say is going to make me want to not be with you in this situation. So when a horse rears up at me, Mm -hmm. and they and I'm I don't say don't you dare rear I go okay cool I see that you are so upset that you needed to move your feet great why don't you move over here you can move your feet out there so if somebody wants to yell at me you can go ahead and you can yell because I missed all those signs up into that point mm -hmm. okay no problem yeah and then the next step is is that I soften them you know, maybe that sounds manipulative I like to think about it as a little bit more influential um, but I <laughs> I, you know, I will soften them to not necessarily my cause, but soften them to a point where we can start talking about what I'd like the end goal to be. Mm -hmm. And what do I want that end goal to be is that changes through the softening process. Maybe I wanted my horse to do a lead change. Maybe I really wanted that lead change today, but I get out there and I put my left spur on and my mm -hmm. horse's head goes right up in the air and they're like, nope. So I change my outcome for that day. And I say, Hey, you know what I'd really like? is just that at a walk with my hand on your neck, you give me your hip. Yeah. Yep. And the horse goes, oh my God, I'm such a winner. Like maybe I really wanted to go to dinner with Dane. I really wanted to. 
and he just can't and he just needs to have a conversation so we connect and we soften and I pop some you know toast in the toaster we butter and peanut butter and we sit on the couch and that's what we eat yeah but like the task gets done just not the Mm -hmm. same way right so I think that awareness and accountability the connection softness task but keeping in mind safety because safety has to do with how you keep yourself safe physically, emotionally, and mentally, that you don't burn yourself out, that you don't put other people's emotions ahead of yours Mm -hmm. and that you don't put yourself in a place physically where you can get hurt. You know? So I think that that's the biggest downfall with, with people and horses is that they're not, they're not aware. And then when the really hard shitty part about this is that when you start becoming aware, Mm it's like the worst. It's Mm -hmm. the worst. You're like, I know nothing. I'm so Mm -hmm. bad at everything. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, yeah, this is awesome. I know nothing. Look at all the other things that I have left to learn. Right. And it goes with horses and it goes with people. And so when things get hard for me now, like, like I go to the fire, I want to know like where the fire started. I want to know all about the fire. I don't just want to throw water on it, put it out. Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's interesting because I'm actually like looking at my physical health. So I've looked at my, my mental and emotional health that way for a long time, but I've never really taken the chance to look at my physical health. Um, Or I shouldn't say haven't taken the chance. I have never prioritized it. So now that I am looking a little deeper into my physical health, it's not like, okay, so I have sore feet and I'm having a hard time putting my feet in my boots and staying in my boots all day. So I'm not going to just get a cortisone shot and really good insoles. I'm going to assess the whole picture and say, why at the age of 35 do I have arthritis? Yeah. So that's what is going on. Like that's your body's ear flick, right? They told you that a long time ago. So, you know, you haven't gotten bucked off yet, but it's it's bouncing you around. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And then you think of it with your marriage, right? Think of of the whole picture of your marriage. Well, you know, like my husband's never made me feel like I need to, I need to be concerned about this or that. And then all of a sudden there's some some signs and all it is, is a lack of connection to the whole picture. Right. Exactly. And I I think that what it really comes down to, you know, if you're going to like, we're going to talk about your book being a conscious communicator, right? Mm -hmm. You, you need to know what you want. You need to be conscious of what you're communicating and how you are. So like accountability and awareness, Mm -hmm. you know, like, like I said, those are my two favorite A words, accountability and awareness. And that really those words can just be translated into consciously communicating right absolutely yeah and so that is it like it, it all comes down to that when when you start being when you see one ear flick you're like holy shit all mm-hmm. those horses are ear mm-hmm. flicking or oh my god that ear flick goes with the tight neck which goes with that back foot that's doing this and no wonder mm-hmm. when I do up the girth they wrinkle their nose right. you know what I mean and then obviously if I can't do up the girth without the horse wrinkling their nose you think they're going to keep their head down in a lead change right like so you go, you go to that end goal. But um, yeah, I would say that if we're going to kind of wrap it all together, like the biggest pitfall I see, and I mean, I can talk about this all day, right? Really, I look at this stuff and I think that I, I don't ever really need to teach people anything. I, I tell them that I'm like, it's really cool. I super appreciate you guys paying for my clinics. Really love that. 
But my favorite part about it is that I'm just reminding them about things they already know, you know, and, and I, like, I listened to your podcast that you had out yesterday, I think. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you know, talking about Dan saying to you, Nikki, you already know this shit. Like you, you know this, like you're, you're a grown up, you're a grown up horse person. Like, Mm -hmm. come on, you know this. And you're like, yeah, you know, I do know this. And Mm -hmm. I find that really interesting in my clinics. Nobody asks me questions. Mm-hmm. You know, I say all this stuff. I'm like, you're doing this. And they're like, holy shit, I am doing this. This, yeah. But but they're the ones who showed it to me. So if you want to like go back into the horses, your therapist stuff, yeah. you know, the horse is laying there and they're, they're you know, they're talking to you and stuff and, and they're, they're just saying, and what would you like to do with that? And then you choose what you're going to do with it. Yeah. The horse doesn't answer your questions, but you I know, think you the answer- hang up that happens with the horses as therapy is the idea knowing why we want our horses. So we know that our horses offer us a place to be able to have somewhere that we call our own. It's a place for us to reconnect to ourself. We feel the most like ourselves when we're there and having that image. But then when you're with that horse, rather than looking exactly what you've been talking about at that accountability piece and that awareness piece and rather flipping it on its head and then looking to blame and looking to then just have another situation that turns out to be more stress um, for both the human and the horse versus the thing. And that get it's just this this vicious cycle of you are supposed to be my therapy and yet you are my stressor. And yeah. you're supposed to be connected to me. Why do you want to run away from me? And that right. frustration and then realizing that exactly what you've been saying, when that accountability and that awareness comes into play, then that's actually possible. The, the opportunity for your horse to be the very thing you need exists right. and that, within that. Like that's what I was saying about like the pressure stuff. When yeah. you start learning to like lean into the pressure, mm-hmm. when you're like, okay, here it comes. Like I talk about it like, you know, you don't want to walk into the gym and like look at the weight rack and cry, right? right. You don't want to be like, oh my God, that's going to hurt me. Mm-hmm. And if you pick up a really heavy weight and you're not, you know, prepared, you know, you haven't done the work mm-hmm. to carry that weight, then you're not ready for it. You're going to get hurt. Yeah. You also don't want to walk up to that weight rack and lift a 100 or like a one pound weight a hundred times. That's yeah. actually going to be worse for you because you're going to wear out your joints. Yeah. You know, you only have so many reps in you. So yeah. you need to learn that feel. And so when it comes to pressure, different people obviously are at different places, but mm-hmm. the whole point is, is not to avoid it. It's to become more resilient to it. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, like that's, that's just kind of, you know, we can, like I said, we can talk about that for hours and hours, but um, I think that uh, the awareness and the accountability when it comes to horses is something that I find really interesting because as soon as I make people aware, they're like, oh God, I moved my feet again. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah. And they're like, oh, sorry. They say sorry to me. I'm like, sorry, I don't care. You can move your feet all you want. My job is to just show you that you're doing it. Yeah. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's not good. My job is just to show you that you're doing it. Mm-hmm. What you want to do what you choose to do with the stuff that I show you that you do, same with a therapist. What you choose to do with the things that you discover by me being like, hey, you're doing these things that you're showing me openly. I'm just going to point them out to you. Right. What you choose to do with that is up to you. And you can choose to do nothing or you can choose yeah. to do something. And when you choose to do something, that's when you're going to make big changes. Yeah. And really, it's interesting. I've been thinking about that a lot lately and thinking about the tools that people have and the tools that people offer other people Mm -hmm. in order to be able to work their way through things. Mm -hmm. And any tool that you put in the hand of anyone, whether that be spurs 
or a journal, whatever it might be, it's completely in the hands of that person. And what happens on the other side of it and the results on the other side of that, whether that be those spurs never get used or those spurs get overused, you never find that happy medium. Same with the journal. They're like, journaling, I don't understand. Like that person, that journal doesn't do anything for me. Well, right. it only will do for you what work you're willing to put in. And when you're aware enough of what the potential has to be with that specific tool. Totally agree. And I think that in this day and age, there is no excuse to not know how to do something if it's something that you want to do. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Uh, So like, I agree that the tools are, you know, the responsibility of the person using them, Mm -hmm. but like, I'm not going to go and give my five-year-old a machete, you know, he's not responsible, like he's not responsible enough to play with that. But I can start out by giving him a butter knife and I can then start out by giving him a steak knife where if he stabs himself with it, it's going to hurt, but he's Mm -hmm. not going to die. Right. You know, and so I can... I can do that with the, the people that I show things to, too. You know, like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to give you this longer line. I'm not going to set your horse free in the arena. Right. Like, that is my responsibility as a teacher. I'm not just going to yeah. be like, come to my clinic. Here's what I do. Watch me. My mm-hmm. responsibility to those people is to, you know, help them learn at and, and, and to horses as well. Like, I'm not going to be like, well, you change leads when you're free outside. So I'm just going to sit on you and kick you until you change leads. Yeah. You know, that it's my responsibility. but you know, the tools that I use in that situation that it all comes back down to feel right. Like you're not, you're not going to go, if somebody's house is on fire, you're not going to walk up to them and be like, here's a journal. Why don't Mm -hmm. we talk about this? You know, you're going to take care of them first. And so though, you know, I think again, with the awareness, um, it comes down to awareness of situations, awareness. Well, I mean, that's kind of what you've spoken about. Like, you know, you have your four pillars. I don't really, in, in my line of work, I don't really talk about like the spiritual kind of stuff too, yeah. too much. Um, yeah. but, but I really do talk about like the mental, physical and emotional. And for me, the biggest one is emotional. Yeah. If you have an emotionally resilient and emotionally agile husband, uh, partner, friend, fiance, uh, horse, kid, mm-hmm. everything, but an emotionally agile cat, I'm pretty sure that, <laughs> that um, they exist. I think they're, you know, <laughs> But you know what I mean by that? Yeah. So like if you can oh, yeah. if you can do that emotionally, then I think you're on the right track because it's yeah. cool if somebody can like, you know, run a marathon and write a PhD, that's real cool. But if they can't explain that to people, yeah. then they're not really good to society. And, you know, I would much rather have somebody who could uh who could just have a cup of coffee with me and understand me. I don't need them to impress me with their PhD or their book or their, you know, their athletic feats if they can't emotionally speak to me. Oh, I think, I think really like if we look at society right now, the, I don't want to say the biggest hole, but the place where I see people really needing the most help is in their emotional resilience. Right. So yeah, absolutely. It's, it's so important Um, because there's a, there's a really fine line between nothing bothers me. I'm fine. This is fine. Right. And you know, like the meme with the dog in the fire Mm -hmm. drinking his coffee. I'm fine. This is fine. And my feelings matter more than everybody else's. Right. Like it's a huge line. It's a really big one, but it's real skinny. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's right. Um, No, I agree. Well, I think Danique, we could probably just carry on forever. 
Um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so I am going to cut you off because I know that I'm going to have you back on because I absolutely love these conversations with you. And I'm not sure if people will believe it or not, but these are typical conversations between you and I. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, you know, now I'm thinking like, oh, I shouldn't have been nervous because it's literally like every time right. driving home from a clinic and I call right. you and we just have this talk and right. um, yeah. So it's, and it's it really nice. is, Thank it's you. the things that we have conversations about that we wish we could have conversations about at those clinics. Um, yeah, right. But it's just not the right time or place. So here's the right time and place. And I really appreciate you taking part and, and being so open and honest. It's, it's refreshing. Well, thanks, Nikki. It's uh, kind of fun to be talking. And I definitely am going to like range when I hear myself talking on this podcast. But, oh, interesting um, note on that. So what I did learn with this whole podcasting endeavor is yeah. – that was my biggest hangup. Really, I was so concerned about my voice, what I was going to sound like, and I hated the sound of my voice. And it was one of the first things that I had messages from people about saying, oh my gosh, like I could listen to your voice all day. Now I know that not everyone probably feels that way, but um, <laughs> but it was something that that people had said to me almost immediately that they- God, I hope they- I hope they message it, so. me and I hope they message me and they're like, I could listen to your voice all day. That'd be great. So if you, if you that. hear this, you're listening right now and you feel like Danique had a good voice. I personally, I feel like you have a great voice um, Thanks, for Nikki. people to listen to. So, you know, <laughs> give her, give her a little bit of love, but thank oh, you man. so much. And I appreciate you being here. All right. Thanks so much, Nikki. Um, we'll talk to you. Well, I'll probably just message you in a couple minutes. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for choosing to spend your time with me. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please leave a review and share it with your friends. To learn more about me and what else I have on the go, skip on over to NikkiPorter.ca. Thanks again for listening, and we'll connect again next week. Until then, remember, you have the power to take the reins and live the life you've always wanted. You just have to step into the arena with an open heart and an open mind.